Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. Welcome everybody to the Future Church Podcast. I am privileged to uh, have as my guest, Professor Andrew Sherry. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a few moments. He's a good friend of mine for all the time that I've been here at Ivy. And some of you know the Future Church Podcast really aims to help leaders, whether they're church leaders or uh, anybody really involved in the world of church um, or businesses and organisations, trying to grapple with uh, the new era, really, in which we're living and how it is that we're going to continue to be able to be everything God calls us to be and do all that God will call us to do in the future in a times which has been described as a times of you know volatile and uncertain and kind of ever changing and i think that's also accelerating more and more just as we think we've had come out of one crisis another one comes along too and yet as we know that old adage says uh, that apparently the times of crisis is also can be times of opportunity for us to think differently and act differently um, rather than just to uh, keep looking back but to be able to go forward so do subscribe please help us and uh, spread the word let other people know about the future church podcast and um you know post about it on your social media it's been helpful and get in touch maybe you want to suggest other people that you think would be great for us to be able to um, interview as part of this we are also connected to launch um which is happening later on in the year in wigan um, very excited about the plans that are going to come up for that and um, we're going to do you a special discount as a future church podcast listener for you to be able to book in and join us later in the year for launch but for now uh, I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Professor Andrew Sherry. Um, Andrew holds a chair in materials and structures at the University of Manchester. He was previously chief scientist at the National Nuclear Laboratory and director of the Dalton Nuclear Institute here in the city of Manchester. So he provides strategic advice to government, industry and academia on nuclear safety, science and innovation. I know uh, Andy too as a good friend who has helped me over the years in so many ways. He was the lead elder when I first came to Ivy nearly 14 years ago. He's a wonderful uh, husband to Sue and uh, dad of two and now congratulations uh, a granddad of one and uh, it's just fantastic to have you with us. Welcome to Future Church Podcast, Andrew Sherry. Hi Anthony, it's lovely to see you. Brilliant. And I know also you have um, launched uh, the Becoming Me personal development program with your colleague, um, Mike Perrett, as a lockdown experiment. And we are excited to uh, find out more about that, too. Uh, something is the heart and the vision behind it. But, yeah, um, let me start with a couple of questions just to kind of get us warmed up and thinking about this. Um, obviously, we just listed your something of your CV. I'm sure it could go on even more. But what, what did you want to do when you were seven? Did you kind of dream one day that you'd be doing uh, nuclear science, etc.? cetera? And, um, you know, what, what did you think you were doing when you were seven and how has it kind of worked out since? I suppose in some ways, do you wish you could still be doing the thing that you were dreaming of when you were seven or, in fact, are you now living your dream? <laughs> well, I, was, I, I discovered my school reports in the in the garage. So I can tell you what my teachers were telling 
my mum and dad about me when I was seven. And that was, I, I sang with enthusiasm. I was enterprising on the gym apparatus. Um, and I was inconsistent and scruffy in my spelling and schoolwork. Um, so I certainly didn't dream that one day I'll be a nuclear scientist. And I suspect if those teachers were alive today, they would, uh, <laughs> I don't know what they would think, to be perfectly honest, uh, because all the way through school, I mean, I was just, um, I, I never knew how to work. I wasn't interested. I was only interested in sport and music, to be perfectly honest. Um, the one thing I do remember at the age of seven, I did have a hero. And I love the quote, uh, that little cartoon, I don't know if you've seen it, which says, the most important thing in life is to be yourself, unless you can be Batman, always be Batman. And, <laughs> and I, had a, I had a Batman suit for my seventh birthday and my little brother had a Robin suit. So you can picture me at the age of seven running around the street with a cape out the back and a Batman hat on. That's about it. Fantastic. Well, they say the interesting thing about Batman is that although he's a superhero, he actually hasn't got any superpowers. Unlike the rest of them, he really employs technology um, to be able to do the things that he does. So unlike Superman in the sort of DC uh, pantheon of superheroes, etc., and all the rest of them, um, Batman, apart from you know being reasonably tough, etc., uh, he's... So technology really has become his uh, his superpower, which I think, therefore, perhaps mm. maybe there was a little hint. Maybe oh. there was a little hint, something in that utility belt after all. <laughs> yeah, to be able to kill the shark when you were hanging <laughs> off a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Um, well, I suppose that kind of thinking about your journey and how it changed and also your the quote there with regard to, um, you know, thinking about who you want to be, the you have this resource, which I remember us talking about when it was in embryonic stage, but now I know it's it's um, been shaped and been used in various settings. It's called becoming me. Why don't you tell us something about how that came about in in the first instance, just to help us to know what mm. that is? Yeah, it, it was a, a chat I had with one of our church leaders, Tim Burr, after a morning service when we used to all be meeting face to face pre pandemic. Uh, up at uh, Ivy Academy, it was called, up at the university. And, and that attracted a lot of students. And I've always worked with students and, and, and love, you know, mixing and mingling and, and helping young people. So I, I was going along there and Tim made this observation to me. He said, you know, this Ivy Academy, it's here because we want to reach out to students. But what happens is students then get jobs and they stay in the area. And so he said, now when I look across the congregation, probably about 70% of Ivy Academy at the time are young professionals. So they've been through the university system and they've got their first jobs and they're starting to settle down and think about marriage or families and all that sort of thing. What could we do? What do you think we could do to help them? And, and it was that question which prompted me to take a day out um, just to think and pray about what I thought we could do to help young professionals. And um, so I remember it was a Friday. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do what I do for all proposals and all ideas is I'll start a PowerPoint presentation, which I've still got, where I set out this sort of vision to walk on a journey with young people as they start their careers. 
and to think about and help them to think about who God has made them to be and what he's made them to do and how they can do it. And it was really those sorts of questions uh, that started to shape up this program called Becoming Me. And, and ultimately, that's what it asks. It asks, who has God made you to be and what has he made you to do? And the verse which came through loud and clear to me, and it's been a, you know, the verse that, that runs through everything we do on the program is Ephesians 2 verse 10, um, which is, uh, you are God, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Mm. And, um, you know, to be honest, we, 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 we thought, well, lockdown happened. So we thought, well, let's just give this a go. I work with Mike. We started shaping up each session about a week before the, the first pilot session happened. And we ran it for a few people at IV and a few people at Mike's church. Mike's a, an expert in emotional intelligence. So he was bringing that aspect into all of the sessions and, um, we just talked through our, our lives and our experiences and what we wish we'd known, you know, at the time and that sort of thing and, and gave it a go. And it's sort of grown and developed since then. Um, uh, I mean, I can go, we've got six sessions. Each session focus on, focuses on why, what and how of, of who we are and what we do. Um, and we basically we build it up, starting thinking about ourselves and, and strengths and weaknesses and the motivations God put, has put in our hearts. We think about the people we work with and the places where we work and the, the prevailing culture and our own values. And then we think about how do we grow as people and, and how do we progress, you know, in our career journey. And that's it. And, and to be honest, we've run it in church we've, and I've run it at work. I've run it at the university. I've run it through the Nuclear Institute. And uh, it really seems to be um, making a difference and touching something in young people who are hungry to to make a difference in this world actually whether they're christians or not mm, that's good yeah it's funny enough i've just seen a thing i just posted on facebook a picture of myself that had just emerged on somebody else's feed of me when i was 16 and joining the police cadets and i'm there with a bunch of other literally fresh-faced people but you know, I just sort of drifted into doing that. I think it was a question of I better get a job soon or my dad will kill me. And I knew I didn't want to go to sixth form college. So I think, uh, you know, how, how much do you think we can prepare for that future that we believe God has got for us? Um, and how much is, is more about um, preparing ourselves I suppose, rather than preparing for. Are there some things that you think for anybody now who's a younger person who's kind of thinking, um, I don't even know what I want to do. There's often that awkward question that people at university may be asked, so what's this leading to? What are you going to do? And they kind of perhaps grow to hate that question. Or maybe there's some people at uni who are only doing it because mum and dad said it would be a good idea. But how do we, how can we prepare well for whatever the future brings in such a changing future? It's, it's a great question, isn't it? I mean, um, what, some of the things we, we talk about is, you know, this is a journey of discovery uh, as you go through life. And, and none of us know everything there is to know about ourselves, let alone other people. Um, but as we try things, as we step outside of our comfort zone and experiment, we discover things that uh, otherwise we wouldn't know. You know, often, often we discover things through failures. I mean, I tell this story about the first time I was, I was in the testing lab at the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority, I pressed the wrong button. 
<laughs> on the test machine and and not only broke the specimen which was meant to happen but i broke the test machine which wasn't meant to happen uh, and that taught me something about what i'm good at and what i'm not good at and it taught other people around me as well about what i wasn't good at it was a really important lesson which has stayed with me uh, all, all this time so i think this this idea as we go through life that we can step outside of our comfort zone and we can know that god is with us and uh, he will reveal something about who we are through those experiences. And often I think, you know, one of the challenges uh, young people face um, in the workplace and uh, university and wherever is that ability to um, take that step. I mean, we've had some people on the programme uh, and some, we always ask for feedback and we have an impact session at the end and, and they talk about, you know, what's this programme done for them? And some of the most encouraging things are, people have, have, have said, I've started to believe in myself wow. or it's built my confidence. And we've, we've got examples of people who were in jobs at the start of this program and through this process that we, it's quite a sort of structured process we walk through, they've realised that actually this, what they're doing now just isn't them. And, and so they've been encouraged to think differently about their career and not simply stay in a job because it's a job, you know. Uh, we've got, you know, one girl's uh, moved to CERN, you know, she, she's out there in Geneva. She said uh, it just wouldn't have happened without going through the Becoming Me process. Somebody else has moved into government who was in industry and, 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 and other, sort of, other sort of areas as well. So, you know, getting that sort of feedback means that people are ready to think a little bit differently about their careers and, and about who they are and about how they apply the strengths uh, and the gifts and the passions, importantly that are in them, um, and I would say, you know, it's part of God's makeup in, in everybody and in all of us, that we can make a positive difference in this world. And if we walk experimenting and stepping outside the comfort zone and trying things and learning and constantly reflecting, then I think it really sets us up to make a bigger impact in this world. And I guess the earlier we can learn that in our career, the better. It probably took me 40 years to learn that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that obviously as a church leader too, that um, resonates and, and makes me think in terms of how, when things happen, we have opportunity to reassess. Um, obviously, this, as you've described it, the Becoming Me course came out of COVID. I think a lot of people have been kind of looking again at their lives during this time, asking the big questions around what's really important um, and what's really important to me. Some people have kind of renegotiated uh, jobs or, or uh, renegotiated relationships, even re renegotiated their relationship with church. You know, I, I'm grateful that you and Sue very often help us with our online uh, church, which was really born out of the COVID, out of the pandemic and, and became something that we just had to do, but now has become something that we know is is really valuable and something we want to continue with. So how do you think, you know, in, in these kind of ways, just philosophically and in different ways, and also spiritually with church, speaking to me as a church leader, what do you think you'd want to, you'd want me to know from your perspective about how we can best help people through these times of, of transition when they're asking these big questions? I mean, what, one of the things that's been really interesting, and I think, you know, at church and at Ivy, um, we do this really, really well, is small groups. And one of the unexpected uh, pluses, if you like, or, or bits of feedback we've had from Becoming Me is people who've started their new job in lockdown, 
have felt isolated. They haven't felt part of a community and they haven't felt able to express some of their worries and their concerns and, you know, in a way that they might have been able to in the workplace. And so this building of networks of small groups who can encourage one another, who can almost sort of speak the same language and understand what each other means about the challenges and the stresses and the uh, and the difficulties they're having has been a huge benefit. And so, you know, this idea of small groups, and this is where Zoom has been or, or Teams has been so helpful because we've had people in these groups in their own homes, often, sometimes in the workplace, but often working from home. And the level of openness and honesty and vulnerable, you know, being vulnerable in the discussions that we have on the program has amazed me. In fact, I would even say, and I don't know if it's it's the sort of generation we're talking to or, or what it is, but sometimes even more open and honest than some of the, the grow groups or the prayer groups that I've been to, you know, at Ivy and, and church over the years. Um, we, we've had people in tears on the program, you know, because they've been so moved about something we've talked about. So, you know, one of the things I guess it's told me is that people who aren't necessarily engaged in church still have needs, still have similar questions around why am I here? What is my purpose? How can I make a difference? Um, and want to make a positive difference in their world. You know, when I started work, all I wanted was something that was interesting and would pay reasonably well. I remember thinking that was the sort of job I wanted. We asked, the, we asked them the question on the program, you know, what is your motivation to work? You know, is it money? Is it impact? Is it autonomy? Is it all these different reasons? Why is it community? Is it so you can pay for your hobbies? And, and the number one thing that comes out every time is I want to make a positive impact. Mm. Now that's the Which kind is of thing stunning, you, isn't it? Yeah. And you hear that as being the case, I suppose, for generations, like for, with regard to that sort of thing that they say millennials, uh, you know, want to do that, want to feel that what they're doing really matters, et cetera. Do you find that's a generational thing? Do you think it can be, or, or is, it, is it just an age and a stage thing? Um, you know, obviously there will still be some people who just want to get paid enough to be able to do the thing that they're doing and go home and then they have a life outside of it and that's all that really matters. But but do you see it, as, you know, as a generational thing? Do you see it as, as, as like common to most people and maybe we're just not asking the right questions? Um, what we ask them to do is to list their three big motivations and we have a list of them and they can add anything else they want to. As I say, making an impact comes up more times than others. For others, it, it is to earn enough, you know, to live. Um, and, and we always say that's fine, but just reflecting on that question and thinking about why do you do what you do? What is your, you know, inner drive to do it is the sort of question that people don't ask very often, but it's a really important question when you're thinking about what if this other opportunity comes up, what would my answer be? Is it going to meet this motivation that is in me or that, that God has put in me? Um, to make it make a difference or uh, to be the best I can be at a particular subject or, or or start a business or whatever it might be you know and so it's put a bit of a sort of foundational question I think um that that we raise early in in the program and then we unpack it as we go as we go through the program so I think you know one of the things that church leaders can do is to 
raise those sorts of questions, you know, in church. You know, we we talk about how can we uh, reach out to those in our communities, both in our neighbourhoods and the people we work with and all of the rest of it. But sometimes I wonder whether we might ask that sort of question a little bit differently, which is, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, if we really believe what Ephesians 2.10 says, that God, we are God's handiwork, we're not an accident. He's made us as we are for a reason, because he's got good works for us to do. In fact, he's, he's even prepared them in advance that we might say yes when those opportunities come up. Asking people that sort of question around how can you have an impact for God yep. from what he's already put in your heart, the skills he's given you, the passions that he's put into you, and the values he's built into you as a person um, is a very powerful question. And I think, you know, certainly I, you know, I can look back on on some of the, the things I've done at work and things sometimes I've had to make a stand, sometimes I've been um, sometimes I've been uncomfortable about decisions and had to say something, it's not been easy, but sometimes that has positively influenced the direction of, uh, you know, uh, an institute or organisation or a bit of research or whatever it happens to be. And I hope and pray that, you know, that ability to be myself and to understand who I am and who God's made me to be in the workplace has a positive impact for his kingdom in the world. Launch is back in person this year, just outside of Manchester, taking place on the 3rd and 4th of October. We're really excited to welcome you back for what is sure to be a brilliant two days, looking at how the post-pandemic church can be rebuilt, revived, and reproduced. As a Future Church podcast listener, you can get an additional 10% off your ticket when you use the promo code FUTUREChurch, all one word. Visit launchcatalyst.org today and use promo code FUTUREChurch at checkout to get your discount. I just wanted to recycle back a little bit there to something that you were saying. And, you know, just to pick up for anybody who's listening to this and kind of maybe joined us in view of your credentials, but you were like chief scientist, and yet you're not saying, as a nuclear scientist, um, you know, you are a Christian. You're talking about purpose. You're You're saying we're not here by chance. I would imagine that at times that belief that you have could potentially, you know, in a world where people say, well, you know, science has disproved God, um, you know, uh, how does that tie in with you as a scientist, with your faith in a God of purpose, rather than the, you know, the cells that and everything that we've got and all of the, you know, obviously my fairly limited understanding of nuclear physics i have to admit that i know we're made of i know it's all about neutrons and protons and croutons but after that i kind of get a little bit lost but what (laughs) what is the um what's the you know the challenge to you do you get that do you have people saying um yeah but how can you believe this stuff when you're a scientist yeah i do and to be perfectly honest sometimes i ask myself that question um one of the things I often reflect on is, is my first PhD student that I ever supervised. And I remember her after she'd done a master's with me. So she'd done some research and she was now starting a PhD. And after about a three months of doing a PhD, I went to see how she was getting on, uh, on the scanning electron microscope up at the university. 
Uh, and I said, how are you getting on? And she looked at me and she was looking at this particular specimen at very, very high resolution on this microscope. And she looked at me and she said, Andrew, she said, uh, I've just realized I don't know anything. And I said, brilliant, because now we can start. And I think both in faith and also in science, there's an element where we come to a point where we kind of realize that we might have read all the books, we might have read the Bible, but sometimes we come to a sense where we think, I, I, I've hardly even scratched the surface of this. And this idea that, that faith and science is a, is a journey of discovery, actually. It's a journey of experience. It's a journey of learning from others. Um, it's a journey of conversations. It's a journey where we haven't all got all of the answers, but we're all open to doing our best and to supporting and challenging and encouraging one another on that journey. So for me, while science is looking at the sort of, you know, the, the intricate details of the physical world and, and how we can utilize that and harness it for, for the good of, of society, faith is, it, it, it sort of takes it to a, a sort of higher level almost, a higher plane where, where we see a designer behind these you know, what, what we're looking at under the microscope. We understand it's all right not to know everything. And we're comfortable in that sense that we don't know everything. Um, but we're putting our faith either in scientific theories on the one hand, you know, to build nuclear reactors or fuel or whatever it happens to be. But on the other hand, we're putting our faith in God, who we believe has got a plan, who, who hasn't, you know, made us by accident. Um, and we live it out through experience, you know, in, in both worlds. So actually, I suppose the more I've thought about it, the more I've seen science and faith in a strange sort of way coming together mm. and, and maybe being two sides of the same question. Yeah. So there's some, well, there's a humility thing there, isn't it? I'm reminded, I don't know exactly the details. Isaac Newton's quote about, you know, he said that I, you know, after all I've learned and taught, I just realised that I'm like a child sitting by the beach in front of this vast ocean and once or twice I've picked up one or two interesting shells and thought about them but you know he's kind of got a, a you know recognizing the limitations uh, of what he knows is is a big part of it and I suppose too uh, th there's that thing about you can know but do we understand and that knowledge is overrated effectively because you can be the most knowledgeable person about how something works but I've, you know again the becoming me question is asking about the the why mm. uh, questions too absolutely I, I, I always see this sort of progression from you know you read it and you learn it so you get knowledge right you live it so you start to get understanding you try things out you know I've, I've read this thing in the book will it work when i do that experiment in my kitchen you know and often it doesn't but why didn't it you know see you, you move from knowledge to understanding and then with more and more experience, that understanding moves to sort of wisdom, you know, so that the wisdom of years, I, I, I suppose. And then beyond that, there's an element where you're comfortable in what you don't know as much as you're comfortable in what you do know. And you realise that actually we need other perspectives because, you know, no one person has got all the answers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, true. I'd say that's the same for, for faith and for science yeah. too. Yeah, that's true. And we can make, you know, even with theology, somebody could have a, a PhD in theology and know ancient languages and all those kind of things. And yet, you know, not really have any 
lived out faith. Well, well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I remember reading this, this book some time ago called Being Biblical. And the most encouraging thing of this book was it talked about the Bible as a conversation. And conversations grow and develop as society grows and develops, and cultures change and the conversations change. And things that 300 years ago were seen as right or wrong. Today, the interpretation, the understanding of some of those, you know, it's, it's moved on. The conversation has moved on and the conversation will move on into the future. And it's not something to feel scared about because we discover more and we grow as uh, as, as, as people and as society. And it's just the same. For, I mean, you know, we couldn't have imagined the internet 30 years ago, could we? We'd, we would have loved the internet um, 30 years ago. What's it going to be in 30 years' time? Equally, what's our faith and our understanding, you know, of Jesus and, and what he did and his impact on the world and how we live that out, you know, through our lives, that will also have moved on in 30 years' time because our understanding is developing and God is revealing, but like onion skins, you know, more and more of his heart as time goes on. So I think it's a really exciting time in mm. science and in faith as well. Yeah, we have to uh, look at what's happening and then, you know, revise accordingly, I suppose. Like, for instance, I'm not expecting you to give away any nuclear secrets here, but, you know, in terms of what's gone on, it's very interesting um the way in which the conversation has gone, and obviously we want to be thinking about these things too, with green energies, with the move away from fossil fuels and um, these kind of things that the government has been talking about for a long time, and then all the you know the with regard to uh, you know the climate emergency and our responses to that, and then you know I remember people for a long time walking around with badges on which was like nuclear power bad uh, written all over them and protests and yet now it seems that the government are just saying that they're going to be bringing out even more sort of mini nuclear power plants i don't know if they're going to be small enough for any of us to be able to have one in our garden and be able to power our electric car but uh can you tell us a little bit about that because i'm interested in all that kind of stuff uh, yeah it, it's fascinating i mean you know, if, if you look forward at 30 years time, we will be through 2050. And that's our date set in law for being net zero, net zero carbon, not zero carbon, net zero uh, carbon. And the big question has been, how, how are we going to get there? Um, the other thing is how much electricity will we actually need? Because we'll have to electrify everything, you know, not just transport, but heating in homes, you know, heating for, for industrial processes and all of these sorts of things. Uh, and, and it's a massive question. Um, when I, I was looking at this a few years ago, and, and you know, the, the best estimate is we'll probably need twice as much electricity uh, in 2050 than we'll need today. I mean, it, huge scatter because we really don't know, but let's just say it's going to be double. Uh, the question then is how, where we're going to get that electricity from. And there's only three options, really. You know, we can get renewables and maximise those. And actually, you know, UK is really leading the world in offshore wind. Uh, it's amazing what's happened in that industry, how they've driven the price down. Absolutely fantastic. But we can't get everything from offshore wind because the wind doesn't, off, doesn't always blow. So we need some resilience. Um, well, that you, we can still burn gas, but we've got to capture it, you know, and store it. Uh, and there's this whole carbon capture and storage and also reuse side of things. That's not been proven at, at, at industrial scale yet, but it's something we need to do research on. And then the third option is around nuclear. 
And, you know, we've got uh, 70 years, 70, 80 years of nuclear experience in this country, and we've run all sorts of different sorts of reactors over the years. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the vast majority of our nuclear power stations will shut down. They come to the end of their useful operating life by about 2030. In fact, some of them have already started shutting down. So the question then is, what are we going to replace that with? Or do we need even more because our electricity requirements are going to go up? And what about having higher temperature reactors that can run industrial processes? Um, so it's, all, it's, a, it's a big question. But of course, with nuclear comes two big challenges. And one is cost. Uh, and one is what to do with the nuclear waste. And, and the cost one, uh, you know, I'm sure that the more you do something, the more you learn how to do it better. And so the more you build, the more the price should come down. And there's something called uh, nth of a kind learning, which means if I do this thing five times, six times, seven times, I will come down a cost curve. And I think if we get behind a good reactor design, we could probably do that. And one of those reactor designs is what we're building at Hinkley Point C, big reactor. So I think they're going to build another one at Sizewell C. That's the goal. Uh, and the other one, as you say, are these small modular reactors, which are not a particularly novel design. We, I did a review of them um, with, with government looking at it, and that's what I liked about them. They weren't that novel, but what was novel was the way they were made. Mm. Uh, they're smaller, and therefore they could be made in factories. Like Rolls and they could be built, you know, that's right. Rolls Royce are, are the lead, uh, the lead partner of a UK consortium on those, um, and they're smaller. They're not small. They're going in back garden, um, but they'll sit on existing nuclear sites rather nicely. So I think that's probably some something that will probably go ahead, which would be a good thing. Mm. So the word nuclear for many people though is tinged with. Fear, you know. I noticed that as soon as the when the Russians invaded Ukraine and there was going to Chernobyl, uh, great copy for the newspaper industry. You know, anything that you know if that stroke stokes the fear, gets people to pay attention to it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, you know, obviously, I'm old enough to remember living under the shadow of the bomb and all that kind of thing. I mean, just not even in regard to nuclear, but you know, just generally, how do we? What do you think we do about about fear? What's the, what's the you know best responses that we can have? And I'm thinking again here as a, as a church leader, pastorally, or air of people. You know, the the mental health stress that people are, you know it's through the roof. People are worried, are anxious all of the time. What you know what. Any thoughts around any of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really good, um, really good question, um, pertinent at the moment. Obviously, um, I mean, one of the big things actually is talking. Um, it's interesting. We, I, did, I did this bit bit with the nuclear industry some years ago about public engagement and public understanding of nuclear. And one of the things that came up loud and clear is who do who do the public trust and who don't they trust. And they don't trust the government. They don't, they don't trust religious leaders, actually, either, funnily enough. Uh, they, they trust independent experts. That, that seemed to be the thing. And so one, one of the things that we were really encouraging was authenticity in conversations and discussions and openness um, and, and, and honesty, but bringing in those independent experts who can help express questions and worries of the public, um, but also help to answer them. And so I think dialogue is, is fundamentally important. I mean, there's some people whose views will never change either from being hugely positive or hugely negative about these things, but there's the big group of people in the middle who kind of 
maybe recognise some of the big challenges we face, both in terms of defence and also in terms of energy security, and realise that actually these are not easy decisions to make. But we have to make them. You have to do something. Um, other, otherwise, you, you have a real problem. So, uh, you know, we just try and give the best advice we can into those sorts of dialogues. Yeah. Okay, totally different track. My researchers have been busy. <laughs> Tell me about filed guitars. <laughs> filed guitars. Oh, Roger Bucknell. I, uh, when I was a PhD student, there was a guy who was a year ahead of me who was a guitarist. And one day he brought his new guitar into the department and it was a filed guitar. And I'd never heard of filed guitars. I'd heard of Gibson. I've heard of Fender. I'd heard of Ovation. I've heard of all these other makes of guitars. I'd never heard of filed. So I asked him about it. And he said, these are handmade by a guy in a little factory on the filed coast up near Blackpool in the northwest of England. Well, I rather like this guitar, so I started saving what little money I had. <clears throat> I also sold my wife's guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I sold my motorbike, and I saved up just about enough money to buy a filed guitar. So I visited this guy, Roger Bucknell, and he made two things at the time. He made guitars and he made snooker cues. And he gave me a cash discount on a second filed guitar, which I bought in about 1984 which I've still got actually. And he's still operating. His guitars now sell for thousands of pounds and they're all handmade and utter works of art. And if you have a musical bone in your body, you will recognize the quality of instruments. Mm. Uh, so yes, uh, for my retirement presence, I, I, I updated my filed guitar with a new one. <laughs> so uh, apparently you have a, a tenor mandola is that correct? Uh, yes I, I i also have a tenor filed guitar which is a oh. four string guitar yes tuned in fifths which is different fingering and a different sound and i also have a mandola um which is a bit like a mandolin oh yes also tuned in fifths which i'm trying to learn slowly and steadily so i said that 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 school report thing which said he, he sang with enthusiasm I don't sing with, well, I do sing with enthusiasm. It doesn't sound very good, but I play with enthusiasm and hopefully it sounds better than when I sing. And a cigar box guitar as well. <laughs> yes. We were, where, where did you get all this research from? <laughs> <laughs> we were down in Torquay on holiday and there was a guy selling cigar box guitars, which are basically a piece of wood with strings on, stuck on a, an old cigar box with an electrical pickup inside. You plug it in and you play it like a slide blues guitar. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I haven't played well, it in worship go, yet, though. <laughs> we have to do music, a musical future church podcast where you uh, <laughs> you run us through a few of these instruments. Well, <laughs> brilliant. We're coming into land, and and Joe, I just love to think about you know uh, your experience, long experience, uh, connection to church to Ivy in particular. You've seen you know, things we've gone through, ups and downs over the years and how we're trying to kind of respond to them. But obviously we're part of a bigger church than that, the the body of Christ. Um, you know, we could look at that globally or just, but I kind of think as we look at the future now, the way it's changed, um, some things don't change. 
I hope, around what's most important about what we're there for. We know we're just uh, getting ready to celebrate Easter and we're going to celebrate. We're going to say Christ is risen. He's risen Mm -hmm. indeed. But um, what must the church for you not look like in uh, in the new era uh, that we're kind of living through? What must it not look like? Um, What a great question. Um, one, One of the things that god's been speaking to me about over the last probably probably through lockdown actually over the last couple of years is the most important thing is faith expressing itself through love and what i would want the church to look like and therefore i suppose you know put the negative on all of this and would be what i don't want the church to look like is a group of ordinary people looking to express their faith through love for those around them, not judging them, um, not saying because of the colour of your skin or your culture or your your gender or your sexuality or your job or your social standing or none of that matters because I'm expressing my faith by my love for you. Love over judgment, I guess, mercy over judgment. So what the church mustn't look like is a place where people feel they can't come because thou shalt not, dot, 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 but a place where they know that they can come and be accepted because God loves them and God created them, a place where they can come and grow to become the best version of themselves that they can be. with the love and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus and the the knowledge and the um, relationship uh, with God that comes through him. Um, That's the most important thing for me, for church, is love. Mm. Um, And I think probably I'm I'm just, again, it's a bit like research and and science and faith, scratching the surface of what that really means. Well, I don't think you'd be far off the mark in terms of when you said, you know, the most important thing about church is going to be love. That does seem to tie in pretty much with what Jesus said and what he prayed for, for us. And if we if we don't have that, as um, Paul said, then anything else that we do doesn't really matter anyway. So uh, mm. wonderful to have this conversation with you, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time and for being with us any any last thoughts anything else you want to bring um just to encourage us or to how do we connect how do we find out more about becoming me for instance if somebody's listening well, to that and thinks well that sounds great how do how do we get that in our churches or workplaces or whatever yeah well just get in touch with me go to the university of manchester website and search for me andrew sherry and they'll find me and they can contact me by email or, or contact you if that's easier yeah um we're, we're looking for new leaders and coaches on the program i've just written a leader's guide to, to help others to deliver the program. And we've got all the talks on video and um, even, even got a journal now, you know, so everyone gets their own notes and Brilliant. Uh, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, um, please do get in touch. It's just so rewarding to see the impact that some of these little ideas and thoughts have on, on young people's lives and actually others who mid career who, who've come on the program too, yeah. but we, you know, we can't do it on our own, Mike and I, yeah. Um, we'll we'll be the bottleneck, and we don't want to be a bottleneck. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just get in touch with me. Yeah. So many of these things. I think the difference is, as we're looking at this, is it's kind of not just knowledge about; it's applied, which is is really what being a disciple is about, rather than just head knowledge. 
working this thing through and thinking how do I live my that my life then and so I really appreciate um all that you've done and put into the into the course and uh, thank you very much for being our guest today um on the podcast on the future church podcast professor Andrew Sherry thanks so much Anthony thanks for listening to the future church podcast if you enjoyed this conversation please consider subscribing leaving a review listen back with your team and share it further thoughts and resources can be found at anthonydelaney.com